Amen. Happy New Year, everybody. How are you doing? Good. It's great to have you here with us. Uh, this time of year, we tend to try to change something really big in our lives, don't we? Uh, whether it be through a New Year's resolution or some other kind of a thing, we, we make these huge commitments. And when you try to change something really, really big uh, by yourself in a short period of time, studies have actually been done on this to show that usually it ends with failure. Usually you track a few months later and we've kind of gone back to the same old patterns. We've gone back to the same old stuff. Uh, but what happens, the way we really make big changes in our lives is if we actually just change something really small and then we stick with it consistently over a long period of time. That's what equals the biggest changes in our lives. And so uh, we're starting a series today called Small Things, Big Difference. And that's the idea behind it. What are the small changes that we can make in our lives? If we commit to and stick with over a period of time, will make a huge difference in our spiritual lives. What does that mean? What does that look like? Uh, for instance, just to illustrate the idea of what we're talking about, uh, if you were to go right now to, and download the YouVersion app on your phone, it's a free app. It's a Bible app, and there are all these reading plans on it you could take. If you were to choose one of those reading plans and then to start reading the Bible 15 minutes a day, literally 15 minutes a day of, of reading the Bible, uh, and you were to just do that, uh, even before the year is up, you would finish the entire Bible. It's a small thing, but it, makes a it would make a huge difference in your spiritual life. It would make a huge difference in your knowledge and understanding of who God is and what Scripture says about Him. Uh, if you think about your physical body, your physical life, if you were to start today, right where you are today, and you were to begin doing 20 minutes of cardio and 20 minutes of weights four times a week, that, that's it, just four times a week. A lot of times people join a gym this time of year, right, and they try to just spend hours exercising, right, and try to change all this stuff. But if you were just to say 20 minutes of cardio, 20 minutes of weights, four times a week, and that's it, and you were to stay consistent with that, you would have a completely different physique uh, within the course of a year. I mean, you would, you would have a totally different body. If you think about your marriage, maybe your marriage is in a place where it's stuck or feeling like things are a little difficult right now. If you were to begin right now as a couple, sitting down as a spouse for five minutes a day, that's it, just five minutes a day and praying for one another out loud, taking turns praying for each other, uh, within the course of a year, it would radically impact your marriage. In fact, a lot of times when people come to us, to the church, and they have, they're having trouble in their marriage, one of the first questions we ask is, are, do you pray for one another? You say, well, why do we ask that? The reason is because we, we've seen that it's very hard to hate someone when you're regularly praying for them. You know what I mean? Because what happens is you begin to, to pray for another person. You begin to root for them. You begin to, to challenge them and you begin to support them. You begin to understand what they're going through. And it just becomes very hard to stay in this negative relationship. And so five minutes a day praying together could radically change your marriage if you did that for an entire year. It might radically improve your sex life as well. I'm just saying. Um, so, so that's what we're after. And I believe one of the keys to making a commitment and sticking with it over a long period of time is when you commit to it with a group of people. There's something powerful that happens when you commit to a big change and you stick, or a small change rather, and you stick with it over a period of time. If you commit to it with other people, there's something powerful about that. Uh, last Christmas, which would have been Christmas 2016, um, our family went to Tennessee for Christmas and we gathered together with uh, my wife Carrie's extended family. People came from all over the country. My wife is the, the oldest of seven children. So there's all kinds of people and brothers-in-law and sisters-in-law and grandkids and everything. And we gathered in Tennessee for Christmas together. And while we were there, one of my brothers-in-law challenged all the men in the family to run a Tough mutter in the new year, in the year 2017. 
And I, to be honest with you, I didn't really know what a Tough Mudder was. I mean, I knew it, it, I had heard of it. It had just to do with running a race through some mud. That's what I knew about it. And so not wanting to be the wuss of the family, I said, of course, yes, I'm going to do that. Absolutely. I commit right now. I will run a Tough Mudder. And then I went to the other room and I Googled Tough Mudder on my phone. And what I found out was that Tough Mudder is a 12-mile run through very, very difficult terrain. And it has 20-plus obstacles that are very demanding uh, you have to have a lot of upper body strength, and these are very, very challenging, very, very difficult obstacles. And so immediately I was like, oh no, what have I done? Because I was in no shape to do that at all. Well, I was in shape. I was in bad shape to do that, anything like that. So I wanted to, to like go back and decommit, but it became very hard because it's like, no, I don't want to be that guy in the family, right? That, the one guy that's like, ah, now I know a little bit more about it. I don't want to do this. And so we made this commitment, uh, many of the men in Carrie's family made this commitment that we were going to run a Tough Mudder in the year 2017. And so we began this training regimen, and we all went back to our homes. And in January, we all started training from wherever we were in the country. And uh, my son, Andrew, uh, who is an incredible athlete, but he's too young, there's an age limit to sign up for the Tough Mudder. So since he couldn't run with it, he decided to self-proclaim himself as dad's personal trainer. It is humiliating to have your 15-year-old son who can run circles around you begin to train you. He just began to punish me every day. We, we'd, we'd train together. We'd work together. I could do three pull-ups when we started. Three. That's how many I could do. When I was in high school, just for reference, I could do 20. So the first thing I had to do was get in touch with the fact that I have become a lot fatter and a lot weaker since graduating high school. I was also the second oldest of this group of guys uh, that had committed to this. So I'm thinking, I'm too old, I'm too fat, I'm too weak at this point in my life to do something like this. But we just began training and we began texting each other across the country our progress and, and just challenging each other. Oh, you know, I, I got to six miles today. And we just kept pushing each other and pushing each other. And then finally on April 29th, 2017, we all flew into Atlanta, Georgia for the Tough Mudder event that happened there in Atlanta. There were 20 of us that were in our group. And this is a picture of us. Um, this, these are, we're all related in one way or another, um, whether it be brothers of, brothers-in-law or something. We're all related. I'm the fat guy in the middle in case you're trying to pick me out there. Um, and uh, we, we joined a group and we called ourselves America Mutters. So that's why the, the American flags, we literally had capes and flags. I have no idea why. Don't ask me why we decided to do that. You, just, you had to have a group name and so that was our group name. That's what we did. And so we ran this tough mutter together and, and finished it. Um, most of us finished it. In fact, uh, at one point early on, like obstacle five or six, uh, I broke my rib climbing over a wall. It was like a 15-foot wall. I climbed up to the top of it, and then going over, to, you had to throw yourself over, and I leaned too hard right here, and I felt it. Uh, and I wasn't sure that my rib was broken, other than the searing pain that I felt. But I had a CAT scan later, and it revealed, yep, I had fractured that rib. So I was in an enormous amount of pain. Uh, one of my brothers-in-law sprained his ankle, Another one sprained his knee. They both had to leave the race on crutches. They were the only two that didn't finish. Uh, the most amazing thing was um, Carrie's brother, Jesse. There was uh, one of the obstacles where you climbed out on these monkey bars over this like 10-foot drop into this muddy pit. And then after you got to the edge, there were these series of wheels. So you'd grab hold and they would like swing you around like this and then you grab the other one and then you'd swing around like that. And while he was swinging on one of these, his arm just got pulled back too far he dislocated his shoulder and fell 10 feet down into the mud pit. The, the medics there, they had medics at all the obstacles, pulled him out of the mud, reset his shoulder and put it in a sling and he walked the rest of the race and finished, ultimately finished the race at the end. 
I'll never forget the very last obstacle we had to go to, the very last thing before the finish line is just, it's this muddy field with all these electrical wires hanging down. And you, you get to it and you think to yourself, this isn't even like an obstacle. This isn't even like a physical challenge. This is just pain. That's all this is. And it literally, that's all it is. You get to that last one and you, you so badly want to be done that you just kind of screw your courage to the sticking point. And you just run and you just run through this thing and it hurts and it's crazy. And then you get to that finish line. I'm here to tell you, nothing has ever felt so good as getting that finish line. You're just like, oh, I'm done. It's like hitting yourself in the head with a hammer repeatedly and then you stop. It's the greatest, <laughs> it's such a great feeling. And I remember all of us are just gathered there at the finish line and we're just, oh, it was just such a great feeling to be done with this, uh, with this experience and to actually have finished it, uh, I took two things away from that experience. The first thing I took away from that experience is I learned that we are capable of so much more together than we are as individuals. We have way more in us than we think we have, but it takes other people and committing to something with other people to actually bring that out in us. There is no way I would have trained that hard if it was just me doing it by myself. But it was the fact that I committed to this with this group of, of guys, this group of brothers. There is no way that I would have kept going after breaking a rib on that obstacle. No way I would have quit if it weren't for the, the thought that, man, I've got these other guys. We're all going through this together. It's, a few of us have gotten hurt already. Uh, and also the, kind of the idea that I don't want to be the wuss that didn't finish at the end. There's just no way. We're capable of so much more together when we, when we commit to something together than what we are capable of as individuals. The second thing I took away from that experience, running that mutter, uh, was I became fascinated with Tough Mudder. I became fascinated with this event. And so over the months that followed, Will Dean is the name of the guy that started the Tough Mudder event in 2010. It was when the first event happened. So I read the book, It Takes a Tribe, Building the Tough Mudder Movement. He wrote this book about why he started Tough Mudder and how he started it and the reasons behind it. And basically, he tells this story, Will Dean is a former special, British Special Forces guy, and he ran triathlons. He was a triathlete. And so he said, you know, for triathlons, basically, you're ranked as an individual, and the only question people ever ask you after you run a triathlon is, what was your time? What was your time? What was your time? And so you're ranked as an individual, and you're running against the clock, and you're competing with other people based on your time. And so for him, this became incredibly uninspiring after he'd done a few of them. He tells one story about how he completed the swimming part of the triathlon that he was in. He jumps out of the water and he's, he's about to get on the bike, but he can't, his wetsuit gets stuck. He can't unzip the zipper uh, behind his neck on the wetsuit that he has. And so he turns to the guy that's getting out of the water behind him and he just says, hey, real quick, can you just unzip my wetsuit? It would have taken two seconds to do. But the guy couldn't spare two seconds off his time. He jumps on the bike and he just runs on behind him and he just tells the story. Person after person comes out and he's just stuck there waiting and nobody will take the time it takes just to unzip his wetsuit. So he's incredibly frustrated by this. So he starts this event called the Tough Mutter, where you're not timed. The goal is just to finish. Nobody times you when you run a Tough Mutter. The goal is just to get to the end of it and finish. And the obstacles are set up, most of the obstacles are set up in such a way that you cannot possibly complete it by yourself. You have to, it takes other people helping you. And that's, what you, that's one of the values. You have to turn around after you get through an obstacle and help the next person up, whether they're on your team or not. The other thing is people enter as a team. You don't enter it as an individual, you enter it with a group of people. And a lot of people run for a cause. We saw lots of that. People were running for a cause when they were, were doing these. 
And since 2010, when the first Tough Mudder event happened, um, there are over 3 million people across the world that have run a Tough Mudder event since then. The event is just exploding. It's growing way faster than any other event of its kind, any other marathon or triathlon or, or Spartan race or anything. It's just exploding because I think it taps into a value that we have as human beings. So you're sitting there going, why are you telling us all this? <laughs> Here's why I'm telling you all this. Here's why I'm sharing it. I, I think the reason that event is exploding and growing so fast is because all of us, somehow deep inside of us, we want to be challenged to do something together. We want to be a part of a tribe. We want to be a part of a community. And we want to be challenged to do something that's bigger than ourselves than what we could do just as individuals. We're hungry for that. When you look at the Gospels, in the New Testament begins with four different gospel accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And all four gospel accounts tell a few different details of essentially the same story. And if you look at the gospel accounts, what you see is that it, they tell the same story that Jesus begins his public ministry by calling people to be his disciples. He invites people to be his disciples and to come follow him. And then what he does is he takes them on adventures. They travel all around and they have to, you know, basically they can only take the essentials with them when they travel around. So what they have to do is they have to declutter their lives. They have to get rid of anything that's not essential. And then they have to rely on each other. This group of disciples, they have to lean on each other. They have to rely on each other. And Jesus takes them all around until eventually they get to the point where they follow him all the way to the cross their, their adventure culminates when Jesus offers himself sacrificially on the cross for not just them, but for all of humanity, for the sins of all of us. And then they experience the joy as he rises from the grave. And that's how we have this new life in Jesus is because of his res resurrection, because of the new life in him, we have this hope of a new life. And they got to experience that. They, they, got, to, they got to see all of that firsthand. So they have this, if you could uh, indulge me for a minute, they have this sort of tough mutter-like experience, the disciples with Jesus. And they go through all this. And then the very last words of the Gospel of Matthew, this is after Jesus' resurrection, after he rises from the grave, you find the very last verses, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus gives his final instructions to his disciples at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, if you grow up in church, You'll recognize this passage of scripture. It's called the Great Commission. You may have heard it called that before. And the reason it's called the Great Commission is because this was the commission that Jesus gave his disciples to start the church. So these are the instructions. This is what you're supposed to do next, Jesus says. After raising from the grave, this is what you're going to do next. And he gives these instructions to the church. Matthew 28, verse 19 says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now I want you just to take a moment, I want you to picture the disciples with me, if you could, just for a second, at this very moment. Okay, they've just given up everything. They've gotten rid of everything that's not essential. They've relied on each other and they've gone through this tough mutter like race experience together. And now they, I think they literally thought they were at a finish line. Jesus rises from the grave. They're all together. I, I think they literally thought of this as a moment that it's almost like a finish line. 
I think up to this moment, they had assumed that the entire mission was just about them and them following Jesus. I think that's what they thought. So they were much in this moment like we were at the finish line of the Tough Mudder, right? You got your free beer in one hand. You've got your free t-shirt in the other hand. You've got your complimentary, you know, uh, headband around your head now. And you're just basking in the glow of like, we, look what we just accomplished. Look what we just did together. I think that's how the disciples are in this moment. They're just sitting there. And then Jesus begins to fire off all these action verbs at them. He just begins to say, okay, I know you guys are resting here. Here's what I want you to do next. And he starts saying action verbs. Action verbs are not what you want to hear at the finish line of a, a great race, right? At the, at the finish line, all I want to hear are action verbs like, come, sit down, have a drink, relax. That's what I want to hear at the finish line. And Jesus fires into this, what we know is the Great Commission in this moment. And look at the action verbs he uses. Go and make disciples and then baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to what? Obey. Teach them to obey. This is, these are huge uh, commands in this moment. It's funny, if you fast forward, if you look at the church today, in the West anyway, and, and you look at the church, it would, you would almost think to yourself that Jesus had chosen to use some different action verbs. If you were to just like be an alien, look at the church and say, I wonder what action verbs Jesus chose, you would probably choose words like stay. Stay right where you're comfortable. And keep disciples that have already been baptized and taught happy. Keep them happy. And talk about what it might look like to obey. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, if we're going to be honest, really, if you look at the church today, that's really like what the action, it's like, is that what Jesus said? Is that really the action verbs he used when he commissioned the church to go forward? I, I think at this moment, when Jesus said these words, I think the disciples had assumed this was a finish line. Their race was over. And there's this rude awakening that, oh no, this is a starting line. This isn't a finish line. And, and I think they had this rude awakening that in order to do what Jesus was actually saying to do, they were going to need to grow so much more. And they were going to have to rely on the Holy Spirit. There's no way they were going to be able to do this by themselves. I think they began to understand that the mission was not about them this whole time. It was about what Jesus wanted to do with the whole world. And I believe they be, it began to dawn on them that we're going to have to rely on each other. We're going to have to grow. We're going to have to, you know, believe and trust in the Holy Spirit or else there's no way any of this is ever going to happen. And they began to understand this was a starting line event. Now, if you fast forward to us, to Frontline Community Church, this church that you're sitting in right now, uh, Frontline started in January of 2000. Um, actually, so this month, January 2018, we are 18 years old as a church. And so uh, we're ready. Yeah, that's a pretty awesome thing. So we're ready to graduate finally, I guess. I guess that's what that means. We're 18 years old as a church. Frontline, in case you're newer and you don't know the, the history, Frontline started on a cold, freezing cold Sunday in January of 2000 in a factory bay uh, off of Panel Street, off of Alpine Avenue. So um, there were about 30 people present at that very first gathering. And some of those 30 people are still with us today, still part of the church today. I saw a few of them um, first service. And uh, they would tell you that our church on that freezing cold Sunday in January of 2000 began with a mission. 
There was a mission that was explained and told, and it's still our mission today. It's still, 18 years later, the mission that we drive ourselves into. And it's, uh, the mission is reaching, connecting, sending. So maybe you've seen the banners out there in the lobby. Maybe you've gone on the website and seen those three words, reaching, connecting, sending. You've wondered, what, what is that? What is that about? That's our mission as a church. And in full, it says, reaching people with the message of Christ, connecting people to the body of Christ. That's the people of the church and sending people to be the hands and feet of Christ into our world. So that's, that's our mission, reaching, connecting, sending, and short, reaching people the message of Christ, connecting them to the body of Christ, sending them to be the hands and feet of Christ into our world. That's, that was the mission back then. It's still the mission today. And what you need to know is uh, that mission, from the moment it was chosen, it was chosen as a way to basically restate the words of Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Literally, our, our mission statement was intended just to be kind of a restating in, in our language what Jesus said as the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them. Teach them to obey. Teach them to follow me. That, that's, that's how we, we did it. And so we chose these three action words to, uh, to ca- encapsulate our mission. I love these action words. Reaching, connecting, sending. You can almost do like an exercise to it, right? Reaching, connecting, sending. You could get like some hand motions to it and really get it going. What do you think? First service didn't like that idea either. Uh, but, but we chose these like powerful action words because we, our understanding is that basically our tendency is to drift over a period of time toward complacency. That's true of every, that's true of every human being. It's true of the church. I would say it's true of most organizations that our drift, our natural drift is towards complacency. And so we purposely chose action verbs, reaching people with the message of Christ, connecting them to the body of Christ, sending them out to fulfill their purpose as the hands and feet of Christ. We chose action words because we wanted to keep that sense of urgency and that sense of action. Uh, Now, on our spiritual journey, I think most of us come to a church service like this, and there are two thoughts that run through our heads. So I'm trying to think about what it's like. Maybe you're here. uh, Maybe you came to one of our Christmas services, and and so now you're back here first Sunday of January trying to figure out what's this church all about? What is this? Or maybe you've made a New Year's resolution that you want to get closer to God. And so what, what happens a lot of times is I think people come to a church service like this and they immediately think to themselves, hallelujah, I'm at the finish line, <laughs> right? Where's my free beer and my t-shirt? Here I am. And uh, we have this great feeling and it's like, you know, basking in the glow. I, I'm here. I made it to the church and it's a finish line. And I want you to hear for some of you, coming to church is, it is a finish line. For some of you, taking a step to actually attend church is a huge step in your spiritual life from where you've been. And, and some, some of you, maybe you did that this morning, you're sitting there and you're, you're just really thankful that lightning hasn't struck you yet. And you know, that's kind of what's going through your head. And man, that is, that is a huge step and that is awesome. And it's, I'm thrilled that you are here. But then what happens is uh, you hear a message like this and what happens is immediately you think to yourself, oh, oh wait, this isn't, this isn't a finish line. You mean there's more? You mean there's, there's this whole life with Jesus that we're supposed to be living? There's this whole mission as being a part of the church that we're supposed to be fulfilling together? And then the second thing that happens, the second thought we have is we begin to have this feeling of just being overwhelmed. Like, oh no, man, I'm so far from where I want to be spiritually. I'm so, we're so far from where, what God's called us to be as a church. We're so far. And so what happens is we just get really overwhelmed and then that's when guilt begins to step in and shame, and condemnation, and all these things that we do to ourselves, and we think God must think those things about us too, and then eventually we just give up. We say, there's no way I could change. 
Just like we do with New Year's resolutions, we, we begin with these small beginnings and we get overwhelmed and it's like, man, I've got so much weight to lose. I've got so far to go on this journey that, I, that I'm trying to start on. And we just get overwhelmed and it's, it becomes very easy to give up. So this time of year, I think it's really important to remind ourselves. I love this passage of scripture. I return to it about this time of year almost every year. It's Zechariah 4.10. It says, do not despise small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Do not despise small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. What that's saying is that when God looks at us, when, when God uh, sees us taking small beginnings, taking a start, he rejoices. So if you just came back to church for the first time in a long time, or, or you're just taking a step spiritually, God is rejoicing about that. He is thrilled with that. We get overwhelmed with small beginnings oh my gosh, I've got so far to go. God does not get overwhelmed with small beginnings, my friends, because he knows what he's capable of in your life. God's not overwhelmed at all by your worst stuff that you could possibly bring him that needs to change in your life. It says God rejoices, what? When the work begins. When we commit to, these, to, the, to a journey and we say, I'm gonna begin to follow. I'm gonna begin to chase after Jesus. I'm gonna begin in the new year to chase after God. God rejoices at the small beginnings. Don't despise small beginnings. Um, so over this series, I just want to give you a picture of where we're, we're going. And so if you're the type that likes to take notes, um, I'd encourage you to write down this statement. This is the main idea that I want you to walk away with today. It's this idea that you tend to overestimate what you can do by yourself in the short run. Isn't that true? That's what we do. We bite off way too much and we, and we completely overestimate what we're going to be able to do in our own power in the short run. And what we do is we underestimate what God can do through all of us together in the long run. There's something powerful that happens when we go on a journey together and we stay consistent with it and we stay committed to it over the long run. So here's where we're going in this series. What we're going to do for the next few weeks is we're going to walk through the book of Acts and we're going to describe the journey the apostles went on from the moment of the Great Commission um, that's the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And then the Gospel uh, of Luke uh, actually continues on into the book of Acts. And Acts is the story of how the apostles, the, the, the people that heard the Great Commission, they took the Great Commission and they began the church. It's the story of how the Holy Spirit began to move and work in their midst. And it's how they reach, connected, and send. And so we're going to look over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about how the church began to step forward into reaching and then into connecting and then into sending on the final week. And we're going to talk about that and, and we're going to look at that story together. And then I want to challenge us as a church to do something all together. So if you could, I'd love for you to locate this. You're probably sitting on it. These were put out on the chairs. Uh, it just says, what is your next step on the front of it? And it's got the triangle from the logo that you just saw. And it says, Frontline's Discipleship Guide. I'd love for you to take this and find it. And if you open it up, what you see is this is uh, intended to be like a self-discovery tool. It's intended to be an evaluation tool that you go through and you answer some questions. And what this is intended to help you do is to, to go on a journey of discovery and discover where do I need to grow in three areas. Reaching up to God in my knowledge and my faith and my relationship with him. Reaching or uh, connecting to others in the church or being sent out to fulfill my purpose? Where do I need to grow in my walk with God? Is it in reaching up to God? Is it connecting to other people in the church? Or is it being 
discovering my gifts and being sent to fulfill my purpose as the hands and feet of Christ. And so that's the goal of this booklet. It's to help you actually identify what that is. And then if you turn to the last page, it says, what is next for me on that final page? And then it has uh, a reaching journey, a connecting journeys, and then sending journeys. And so the goal is that you would actually go through this booklet and you would, it would identify for you, oh, it's one of these. So maybe you realize it's reaching. Reaching is the area of my life where I need to grow in this next season. And so what we want you to do is literally go to the website right there where it says frontlinegr.com, next steps, and choose one of those journeys. And a staff member here at our, at our church, we've been preparing for this for months, by the way. I just want to say thank you to Brad and David and Lori and uh, Jesse who have worked so hard on this. Well, one of our staff members will connect with you and we're going to connect you to a group of people who are going through a similar journey, who are going through the same journey as you. And we're going to do this together. And the goal will be to actually go on a journey of growing in that area that you've identified that, you, that would be a, a next step for you, a next step, a place to grow. And so um, that's, that's what we want you to do. We want you to connect and figure out what it looks like to take a next step in your walk. And what we've realized is that some of you are going to be able to fill out that booklet and you're, like, you're going to literally take this booklet with you. You're going to fill it out and you're going you're gonna to know immediately, here's what I need to do next. You're going to go online. You're going to take that next step and do it. Others of you, we believe, are probably going to get stuck somewhere in those questions. The questions, don't, fill, don't start filling them out right now. I'd like you to actually listen to, to more of what I'm saying before you go for it. Um, but uh, the, some of those questions require some deep reflection. They require some introspection and getting in touch with maybe where you are in your spiritual life. For some of you, that's going to be a new thing. Maybe you haven't done that. And so you may get stuck on a question, just be like, I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure. And so we've anticipated that. So what we're going to be doing uh, is uh, we're going to be, so what is your next step? That's the guide that you have on your seat. Take it with you. Uh, but then we're going to be having something called next classes in meeting room B on January 21st and 28th after each service. So these classes, our staff are going to be there. And we want, if you get stuck with this booklet, uh, the purpose of those classes would be to sit down and to work through with you, give you some more information. And, and the goal would be for you to walk out and know this is the one for me. I need to go on a reaching or a connecting or ascending journey. And for you to know that. And just to let you know, we've, uh, if you're a parent, um, we've already talked with our kids ministry, the block, and they're all set up to take your kids. So there, there shouldn't be any problem if you know, both of these um, next classes, both dates are happening after the first service and after the second service. So you can just leave your kids in the block. You can go and they're going to be prepared for that to watch your kiddos so you can really engage with this process because we're serious. We want everybody to do this. We want everybody in the church to take this journey. And um, the goal would be, after you're able to get through this, to begin a journey of reaching, connecting, or sending. Um, and I just want you to know, I went through this. I actually, went, I actually took this this past week, as this was the completed final version, um, as we got through it. And so I went through this, and th there are some questions that are very difficult to answer. And what I discovered is that the area I need to grow on in this next season of my life is in connecting. That's the area I need to grow, is connecting with others in the body of Christ. Which you say, how can that be? You're the pastor. How is that possible that you need to connect? How do you not know how to connect with others in the body of Christ? Uh, and so here's what I want you to hear. Um, as, as somebody in, in ministry, as a pastor, uh, I'm around people all the time. I'm just constantly around people. I'm constantly in relationship, in conversations with other people. But what happens is oftentimes I'm on a stage or I'm in some sort of a leadership environment where I'm the one talking and other people are listening to me. And so you get to this point, it's very weird. You get to a point where you almost become more comfortable in environments like this than in one-on-one -on -one you know, vulnerable interactions with other believers in Christ. Believe it or not, that actually happens. 
And so one of the things I'm learning, and this is um, leading me to discover, is that I need to grow in the area of connecting with others in the body of Christ and developing those roots and those kinds of relationships. And so I'm going to be going on a connecting journey. That's going to be the one that I, that I go on as we go into this new year. So uh, if I were you, if I, if I were sitting where you're sitting, I thought about where you guys are going to be at this moment when you're hearing this. And if I were in your shoes, sitting where you are, the question I would have right now is this question. What does the finish line look like, right? Because it's very hard for me to commit to going on any kind of a race or any kind of a journey if I don't know what the finish line looks like. If I don't have a picture of that in my head, it's very hard for me to commit to the training and, and really begin to go on the journey. And so here, here's what I want to say to you. We believe at Frontline that a balanced disciple is a person who has relationships that are healthy in, with God, uh, with other people in the church, and with the world that we live in. That's what we believe. And so the finish line of this is we're going to commit to these journeys, these reaching, connecting, or sending journeys through the season of Lent. And if you're maybe unfamiliar with the church calendar or how that works, the season of Lent is the season that leads from Ash Wednesday in February up until Easter Sunday. And so Easter Sunday this year is April 1st, and Easter is the finish line of this. So what we want to say is we want to, as a church, all of us commit to one of these journeys and begin to go on it. Um, and it's not going to be exactly through the season of Lent, but basically through the season of Lent. And uh, April 1st, Easter, is the finish line. That's the finish line of this. And Easter this year is going to be a time where we're going to celebrate the spiritual journey we've been on as a church. It's going to be a time where we just we rejoice and we take some time to reflect and celebrate uh, what God is going to do. And um, I believe it's going to be a very, very powerful time, a very, very powerful Easter this year. And um, so it's going to be a journey that goes from that point in time. Our small group semester starts in February in our classes, um, but you can, but we're hoping people get kind of rooted in and figure this out right now so that we can just begin this journey and all of us get to the finish line together on April 1st. So if I could, I just want to um, drill this home a little bit more and give you kind of my final, here's why this is important. Uh, so John Stott was the one who said, there are three needs that every person has. He's not talking about food, water, and shelter. We know those basic needs. He's talking about internal needs that all of us have in our interior lives. Those three needs that every person has is a need for transcendence. That's the question, what is beyond me? So we, we talk about reaching. That's our language to talk about that. What does it mean to reach uh, to what is beyond me? The second need is community. Who are my friends is the question. Who, who is, what's the tribe that I belong to? And we talk about the word connecting when we think about that. And uh, the third need is the need for significance. It's a question that all of I, us wrestle with. What am I here to do? What am I here to do? What's my purpose? And we talk about the word sending when we, we talk about that journey and what that means to discover that. And what I want to do is I want to leave this up here for a minute because what I want you to know is that you see all three of these core needs in the interior of a person's life. You see all three of them met in the ministry of Jesus. All three of these you see so clearly met in, in Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to take you to Luke chapter 6. We're going to leave these three up here, and I want to show you Luke 6 is, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6 is where Jesus begins his public ministry. And you're going to see all three of these things here. It begins this way. One day, verse 12, one day Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. Okay, so that's reaching, that's transcendence. Jesus begins his public ministry by going to God, by going to the Father. 
and begins to just pour out his heart to God and seeks God all night on this mountain. Then it says, at daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. And then it lists the names of the 12 apostles. Okay, that's community. Jesus chooses the community he's going to be a part of. Uh, he, he chooses to connect with these 12 disciples. And if you know the story of the Gospels, you know that Jesus, tr these are the 12 people that he travels around with. They go on this journey together. They're his closest relationships, his community, his tribe. And they're the ones that are commissioned to start the church. And then it goes on from there. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from as far north as the seacoasts of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those, with tr those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him and he healed everyone. And he healed everyone. So you see this final piece of significance, the significant part of Jesus' life and ministry begins. The question of what am I here to do? And Jesus begins his public ministry and he heals everyone who comes to him. You see all of these things met in Jesus. And here's, here's what I want to say with that. Um, if you, I hope every single one of you are going to take this booklet, take it home, and just start this journey with us. I hope every one of you do that. But here's the thing. I want to just make sure we understand it's Jesus who heals everyone. If these spiritual journeys, if they don't lead you in some way to walk closer with Jesus, then we're all just wasting our time. It's his power that changes a life. It's his power that sets the captives free from addictions. It's his power that can restore a marriage that's broken. It's, it's his power that can forgive us for, from the deepest sins of our lives and restore us. It's his power that can welcome us into a family and into the church. It's his power that can do that. So if, if this is only about kind of checking a box on your spiritual checklist for the new year, and just so here's one more thing I did for God, but it doesn't actually lead you closer to the person of Jesus, then this is a horrible failure and it's not going to do anything. And in this passage, you see that Jesus is the one that healing flows out of. And I believe uh, that God wants to do something these next few months as we head toward Easter, as we march toward the celebration of Easter on April 1st. I believe God wants to do some things in our church and he wants to do some things in our lives together as a family. Um, but we have to start the journey and not just commit to it, but stick with it and stay faithful and stay committed to it. Big changes happen in our lives by changing something small and then sticking with it and committing to it with a group of people over a long period of time. We tend to overestimate what we're able to accomplish in our own power over a short run. And we tend to severely underestimate what God can do through all of us together as we commit to each other over a long run. So what do you think? Can we do it? All right, awesome. So bang, this is the starting gun going off. We just started the race. We just started the journey. And so I can think of no better way to close than just by ending by standing and singing and just celebrating Jesus, the one who redeems and rescues us, the one from whom we get new life. And so yeah, stand up and let's just go for it.